This is Friends of Foster Care, a podcast sponsored by Fostering Hope Catawba. Fred Rogers said, We live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say, it's not my child, not my community, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people my heroes. Our host, Leanne Setliff, is a seasoned foster parent hero in Catawba County through the Department of Social Services. Over 26 children have found a home with her and her husband. Two of these children they adopted. Now, Leanne is on a journey to tell the story of fostering children in Western North Carolina. It's certainly not always easy, but we are in need of heroes chronicled here to show that we are part of the solution in our community. Let's listen in. special episode of Friends of Foster Care podcast. We, I am very excited today because I have the privilege of talking with the Director of Department of Social Services for Catawba County, Karen Harrington. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my privilege for sure. Uh, um, I First, I've never told you the story, Karen, um, but my interactions as a foster parent with you, um, I see your name on a lot of things, <laughs> including um, the forms when my children had to have surgery. Uh, yeah. you, you write off on that. And so one early Thursday morning, we took my son to have um, surgery in Charlotte and um, the the medicaid person came in and said um these forms were filled out wrong i need to contact somebody for verbal consent do you have this person's phone number and she pointed (laughs) and i thought no i don't have her phone and i'm sure she doesn't want me to call her at 7 a.m on a Thursday morning um so anyway so um but i also love that story because we got to do a graduation for Fostering Hope got to do a graduation for um, kids graduating from high school last year and you told the story about how you sign your name for for all kids in care Um, and you talked about how will you talk a little bit about that story do you remember that story at all that you shared Uh, are you referring to when uh, they need consent in that yeah so yeah, you said something about being the parent to all kids or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, yeah, I, I would be happy to talk about that. That's something significantly important to me in my role. Um, we currently have, I, I look every day, but I haven't looked this morning, but yesterday when I looked, we had 286 children uh, experiencing foster care here in Catawba County. And that is a huge responsibility to treat them the way they deserve to be treated, to uh, set them up in ways that will help them heal and uh, to preserve their relationships with their family when possible, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Those are things very important to me. And um, they're my children, you know, and and I say my, meaning my department, our county is responsible for these little lives, uh, precious lives. Not all of them are so little anymore, but, um, so anytime a, a consent comes to me or 
uh, something in regard that needs a director approval, I expect myself and the staff to um, ask the questions and treat them as if it were their own children. It's not uncommon for them to come to me and say, Johnny needs tubes in his ears. We need the consent. Can you sign the consent? And rather than just blankly signing off on it, you know, perfunctory, it's, it's my job, it's my duty or role. Um, I, I like to make sure that they've asked the right questions. Um, so they actually, this has probably been seven or so years ago. I've been here for eight, um, or this will be my eighth year here. Um, we created a form that forces them to have to kind of ask those questions they would ask. Um, and I know it sounds kind of funny that you'd have to create a form, but uh, the work that the social workers have is just overwhelming. There's so much paperwork and process that some things, uh, it, it, you know, they just need to get it done. And so sometimes consents are one of those things we just need to get done to get what's needed. But I want to make sure the work behind it. And I think the majority of them certainly do that. So we've kind of forced the, the process in that regard. But we we truly, truly see each one of, us, of them as our own um, and want them to be treated no different uh, with all the, the privileges and services and needs being met that our own children, they, they are all of our children. Um, and well, and I love in the graduation speech, you talked about like you had the pride of a mom too, because you- Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that, that, that graduation was, was extraordinary because it was a record number of youth graduating, first of all. And you already know that outcomes for, for youth in foster care are not uh, always the best. And that's, uh, that's egregious. It's a failure, you know, right? And um, to see that many and- uh, I just, the, I just, the precious nature of those young people in their caps and gowns and um, the hope of the future in front of them, despite all the things that had led them up to that moment was a little overwhelming for me. Um, and I couldn't help but feel very, very, very emotional. They, when they played Pomp and Circumstance, I think I cried. I think I cry every time they play Pomp and Circumstance <laughs> at any graduation, but I felt very much uh, like I did when my own son graduated um, for these, for these youth. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that's important to us here. I'm not the only one. I mean, that's, that's, it's one of the beauties of, of serving in this role in this County is I am surrounded by a vast team of people who carry out their responsibility in that same way. And I would not want to do this job anywhere else in any other County. I'm sure they're doing great things in other counties as well, but in my mind, it is a distinguishing hallmark of the way we do business here. And um, I have just an amazing team um, behind me that also embraces that same value of life and children. I love that. And I, as a foster parent, I have also seen that the Catawba County kind of stands out um, at, in terms of being in relationship with other foster families and hearing other foster family stories throughout yeah. the state. I am very grateful for um, Catawba County Thank you. and the work that is being done there. So um, yeah, tell a little bit about, okay, so I, I have so many places I want to go with. <laughs> um, so I guess first let's talk about, um, tell us a little bit about you and what brought you to this role and to this area. You're not from Catawba County, is that correct? No, no, I'm a transplant. I, I don't know how long you have, but my story that led me here is really 
a God story. Um, nothing short of unbelievable. The whole path to here. There's a verse in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 16, 9, and it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that was incredibly true for me uh, in coming to Catawba County. Um, I worked at a private uh, nonprofit child welfare agency for the first 20 years of my career. I started out as a, a social worker in the field, child protection. And when I left that job, one week shy of my 20 year anniversary, I was the vice president over uh, a fairly large foster care division in that agency in Illinois. That's where I lived. Um, but I really felt the Lord was calling me to teach social work at a university in Minnesota. And even how that all unfolded and I ended up finding about that job was again, just was beyond a story that people would believe. Um, I went kicking and screaming. I didn't want to leave my job. I loved and forever saw me um, retiring from my job. It, it was called Children's Home Association of Illinois, but I knew that that's where I would, you know, die, retire there. But uh, the Lord had other plans. And I moved to Minnesota and taught social work at a Christian university for um, a few years. And my son was in the military at that time. He was a Marine and coming back home from overseas. And um, I never felt the same competence <laughs> teaching that I did at social work. And um, I really felt like the Lord was leading me uh, back to this work. And uh, so I took a very long sabbatical type uh, leave, uh, about eight months. Uh, it was a, a true blessing. Uh, I went and hung out on the beaches of Florida with my niece who lives down there and kind of uh, refreshed and relaxed the things you might do during a sabbatical. I did a lot of contemplating and prayer. And um, as the time came to an end where I was going to actually get paid and be able to pay my bills, I started to look for a job. And I was looking um, really kind of in three areas in Florida, because I had family there, um, in Illinois, because that's where my family, my primary home was. And in North Carolina, because my son was coming home to North Carolina from, from the Marines, he was going to be stationed here. And so apparently uh, I applied for a job here in Catawba County. It was actually uh, the program manager uh, in child protection that I applied for. And a Friday afternoon, I'll never forget it. I kept the voicemail from our HR director for years and years. I finally deleted it, but I got a call from her and she said, um, the director had seen my resume in the pool of applicants for the program manager position, um, but he had another vacancy that he would uh, wanted me to consider. And um, would I take a look at it? And if I was interested, uh, I had to go, you know, do the paperwork piece of it and apply. And it was actually the assistant director job. It wasn't the program manager job. And um, that process happened in a blink of an eye. Like I got a call from her on a Friday, I think I took the, um, we did some, not aptitude, but some um, uh, skill matching type tests we, back then here. And I took those tests on like Monday, Tuesday. And then on Thursday, I had a Skype interview with the then director and another assistant director. And um, the following Saturday, I flew in for a second interview with a very large panel of community folk, uh, et cetera. And then I think by Thursday of that following week, they called to offer me the job. So it was extraordinary. And um, 
I'll tell you real quick, and, and uh, you'll learn on this call that uh, I talk way too much, but um, things in my mind that I think are so significant to the story. Um, I had only been to North Carolina one other time in my entire life, and um, it was a few years prior. I was a team member on an accreditation team who came to North Carolina to uh, review an agency in Charlotte, and they also had field offices in Asheville, so we had to travel down 40 so I would have passed right through Hickory without even knowing it. But um, the weekend that I flew in for the in-person interview, um, I flew in on a Saturday, got settled in my hotel. And then Sunday morning, I woke up and I, the director was supposed to pick me up at my hotel with his wife that afternoon, just to kind of drive me around town and give me an introduction to the, to the county. And, but I woke up that morning and I needed coffee. So I ventured out and I thought, you know, I just want to drive around. I want to kind of experience the county for myself. And I ended up driving by a church um, that was affiliated with another church that I loved in Illinois. And so I thought I'm going to go to church. Now, keep in mind, I had just run out uh, to get coffee with like a sweatshirt and, you know, uh, leggings and no, you know, no makeup, hair not done, et cetera. But Long story short, I ended up uh, popping in on that church. I was church. I was a little bit late, but the experience that I had with people who welcomed me as a stranger entering there was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And the the church bulletin type thing that they give you um, in the front had their logo and their name and everything. And then it also said "Welcome Home," and so um, that was significant for me. And then. Um, the week that they offered me the job, I literally had, I was, I had, I was already in North Carolina cause I was visiting my son on the coast. And so on my way back from the coast to go back home to Illinois, I got the call, you know, to accept the job. And so I stopped in Hickory on that trip to, to, to try and find a place to live. And, um, the chief of police, the then chief of police in, in Hickory had given the director a list of um, apartments that he thought was safe and uh, clean and decent. And so I went down, you know, the first two is where I called to go and visit that day. And the first place that I visited uh, had a sign out front that said, welcome home. Mm. I'm going to get choked up telling you this is terrible. So I, it was just confirmation of a path that, that really wasn't my path. It wasn't things that I chose necessarily. It was a, just this ordered steps to lead me here. And um, I, don't, I don't take that lightly. It's so significant uh, to who I am and to what I do here. So forgive, forgive my emotion. I didn't expect that. But so that's how I ended up here in Catawba County. And um, I tell that story every once in a while. This is my home. Uh, and I came uh, by myself. Um, my son, um, when he uh, fulfilled his responsibility to the Marines, he moved here. And then my niece, who was who had just graduated high school, came to visit that same summer that he he came. And she last minute changed and applied at LR and got accepted. And so she moved here. And then my son met his wife and then he got married and then they had a son. So now my grandson's here. And then my niece also um had a relationship while she was here and now has three children. So one person has now, uh, uh, what is that, 700%? I don't know, <laughs> I keep uh, joking to the economic development people that they should give me some kind of a bonus because I have increased the, the, you know, the, the population uh, and the taxpayer base of this county. But uh, more of my family now lives here with me than they do in other parts of the country. So it's, it's just unbelievable when I really stop to think about 
how the path has led me here. And I can also tell you, this is another piece of this story that's pretty significant to this role. And what I do here is I applied for a job that I, I didn't get. I got a job I didn't apply for. And I made it clear from the very, very beginning, I never had any desire to be the director. Um, I love the work. I didn't wanna be that far away from the day-to-day -day work. Um, I saw how hard the job was and how, how hard other directors work. And it wasn't that I was afraid of hard work. I just didn't think that that's, I was qualified. You know, it's incredible work. And um, of course the then director, he was here for a couple of years after I hired, but then he took a job as a county manager somewhere else. And they um, appointed me, my, the, the DSS board appointed me as the interim for that period of time while they did a search for uh, his replacement. And I prayed long and hard about whether I even wanted to apply uh, for this job because like I said, it wasn't, I, I didn't take it lightly. It wasn't something that I had aspired and, you know, um, planned on doing in my career. And um, the job was posted and the first drop of applications to the board uh, was going to happen at 30 days. And on the 29th day, I threw my name into the hat and applied. And uh, the rest is history. I'm now uh, in this role, of course. And I truly consider it one of the greatest privileges of my life to serve in this community. And particularly in this capacity, uh, serving a community where people have needs and they're hurting and they're broken and uh, children need healing. And um, my department has a legal mandate to carry those services out. Um, and you know that, that's a whole nother realm of how we operate you know, as a government entity. But the people that we serve are precious. They're citizens of this community. They're our neighbors. They're our mothers and our fathers. We have staff who are also clients of this agency who uh, get assistance here in different ways. And uh, so th these are these are my people. This is my home and these are my people. And so we take that very, very, very seriously here. So it's it's a crazy story, but I'm here until... I moved somewhere. I, I, I've had a talk with uh, God about, first of all, I never want to move any farther north <laughs> again, living in Minnesota, living in Illinois. I lived in North Dakota when I went to college um, for a few years. I never want to see snow or, or live farther north than this. Uh, I don't know if he'll honor that request or not, but he's aware of it. Um, and truly, I've said similarly to my first 20 year career bout that I would love to retire here from Catawba County and um, you know, continue to do good things here. But uh, if the Lord calls me elsewhere, I hope I'm as willing to go as I was the last time. Well, and There's I'm blessing grateful. in that. So. I say I'm grateful it, it, the Lord has, his path has, shown, has been shown to you. And, and like you kind of said, yeah. something you never really dreamed about. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And you have a big job, so you are over, you're not just over child welfare, correct? You're no, yeah, so um, I am the department head for the Department of Social Services here in Catawba County. We have just under 400 full-time full employees. Um, I forget how many mandated, legally mandated things that we're, we do, but it's in the 50s. I mean, like things that the law says you are mandated to do this, and they're not all robust programs like food and nutrition services or foster care, but they're distinct things that we are required by law to do, like uh, fish, uh, giving um, uh, um, 
administering uh, fishing licenses to people who qualify. Like that's a task that we can do here. Um, many people don't know that if uh, someone who's indigent and doesn't have the ability to pay for a funeral die, or if someone dies and their family doesn't have the ability to claim their body to give a proper burial, that it is the responsibility of DSS to do that as well. Um, we have uh, the whole aging continuum of services from adult protection um, and the services in the realm of their um, and, and uh, senior nutrition, for example. And then we have our uh, entitlement eligibility type programs as well, Medicaid, Work First, daycare, subsidies, um, food and nutrition. Most people know food and nutrition as food stamps. Um, but yeah, the whole responsibility for the day-to-day -day operation Ultimately, the, the, the statutes are very interesting when you read them, because even in regard to like adult and child protection, it says the director will investigate, you know, and like, you know, we get more than 3000 reports of child abuse and neglect in our county a year. Like I'm clearly not investigating more than 3000 reports. But so that's why um, my team is so critical, because they carry out the operations in my name. Um, and you mentioned me signing consents. Um, I have what's called a delegation document with, which very explicitly spells out what documents people can sign my name to and which ones they can't. We actually have stamps of my name that they can stamp my name on very routine documents that are low risk, like things that just have to be signed. Um, but the more complex or the more important things they need to, they need, there's, and there's some things that no one can sign for me. Um, so I have the statutory responsibility of all hiring and firing. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, I'm about five levels from the, from the line so, uh, hierarchically. And so I don't always know every distinct uh, employee and their performance. So I rely on an amazing, amazing management team um, to keep me up to date and informed and um, to carry out my role. And um, I will make that exceedingly clear that it was one of the reasons, it was really the only reason, that's probably not entirely true. There is probably one of two or maybe three reasons why I was willing to apply for the job is that the people in positions of high responsibility here are incredibly talented, have been here for many years, know the policies, comp complexities and the ins and outs of our mission. Um, and I sit around the table. I have the privilege of sitting with them at the table. If we have management team, we have about a 20, we'll say 25 member management team and a pretty big boardroom. But every once in a while, if a chair is out of order or whatever, not everybody quite fits around the table and someone will sit kind of, we have a row that sits against the wall. And that's not allowed in my management team. It's not allowed that someone will sit behind us because it's, it, it's, um, it's, it's literal. I want everybody to be at the table to be a part of the meeting, but it's also highly symbolic that we all sit at the table. And so um, that's very important to me. And the other, the only other reason really that I was willing to take this job is um, I have an incredible management team with the county uh, manager's office and his team and my peers in the department head. Uh, and I'd be remiss to tell you that the social services board is also absolutely incredible. Now the social services board uh, has some turnover every three years or so. Um, that's the term for those uh, positions. Um, but I've been very, very fortunate to have um, very incredible people uh, supporting this department and valuing the work that we do and the staff do. And 
Um, I can go to them with anything um, and, and I have their support. And like, and again, I'd be remiss to not mention groups like Fostering Hope. It's like incredible to me that your group would step up and uh, support the work that we do. We, we really can't do what we need to do here at social services on our own. Um, and nor should we, we are not the expert in everything. And so we want to be the expert at the things that we're required by law to be experts at. And the other things we want a, um, a robust community of providers, faith-based providers and nonprofit providers and business providers to come alongside of us in our community for our people to help us accomplish our mission. And so, and that does happen here again, the pandemic has been a great testing ground for all of us for how that happens. But the nonprofit community coming to the proverbial table with us on things like uh, food resources and food security for families in a time of, you know, incredible pandemic. Um, and I can tell you that um, they have done an amazing job that when you look at hierarchically, you look at all the needs that are coming to our attention, food is at the bottom of the list because those providers have stepped up in incredible ways. And the business community has also supported them to allow them to do that as well. So that's just an example that um, that we want our footprint at DSS to be very small. We want to be known. So if people have a need, they know where to come from, but we can't be, and nor do we want to be all things to all people. Um, so... <laughs> Well, and I love that because I, you know, in this podcast interviewing, I've gotten to interview a, a wide range of people who are specifically um, involved in the, the foster care community. Um, and that's part of why I, we named the, the podcast Friends of Foster Care because <laughs> all play a role. But in it, I love to, to see how each person plays a role and it's all different roles. They, they're not the same yeah. roles. But it's a role that, um, quote unquote, to be the village for kids in care. Um, but also, what you're talking about, like the whole community being mm-hmm. being a community and taking yeah. care of each other, whether that's kids, whether that's adults, whether that's, mm-hmm. that's um, yeah older adults. And so, I love how you've said that that you have an incredible community in Catawba County. That all- yeah. I can tell you that I have a vivid recollection uh, shortly after I was hired, we were tasked, I was tasked with my team um, to uh, update the foster, um, what we now call resource parents, but foster parent uh, recruitment plan and how we were going to increase the number of resource families because so many of our children were being placed out of the community. We just simply didn't have enough families in the in the county to, to keep everybody home. And um, I remember sitting around that table and we had a very distinct conversation and partnered with our GIS department because aside from kinship, the actual relationships of children who enter care and that being our greatest resource for placement, um, we knew that we had a church on every corner here. We had a, um, a robust uh, faith-based community. And so GIS um, showed us where these churches were on the Catawba County map and how many there were. And literally there was a church for every child. Um, and so we sort of embraced this, this idea that if every church in the community would uh, support a family to get licensed, come alongside of them, we would place a child or siblings with that family. And then that church would meet their basic needs, whether it's respite or food, I mean, caring for kids is expensive or uh, just just support like your group does. 
Um, and we were convinced that that was the answer to the uh, lack of resources of keeping our kids at home. And so our campaign and all of our work really back then really centered on trying to leverage the faith-based community to uh, uh, really help us in this mission. Um, and we still have a lack of resource homes in our county, but we certainly have seen groups emerge like this one, for example. Uh, and every time I see your post on Facebook about uh, care uh, baskets for a newly placed baby or beds for a family that needs them, I just, my heart swells with um, emotion on how critical and valuable that is to our mission and, and for the families we serve. Um, so I still believe that, that, you know, the church, the faith-based, you know, um, there's a, a, there's another verse in the Bible, uh, James 127 that talks about true religion. And, um, my faith is uh, by, 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 by a long shot, the most important thing in my whole entire life. Um, and, um, true religion really is about caring for orphans and widows in their distress and being undefiled by the world, so to speak, the, the verse goes on to say, but, um, I can think of no greater way to carry out my faith than to carry out our mission. And so while not everybody that works here has an, and embraces the same faith base that I do, um, the diversity of people who work here is very, very important to us. But I operate. Um, it might surprise people to know that sitting on my, my desk uh, is two things that they're literal things, but they're also symbolic. Um, one is my Bible. And... Um, it just, it sits there. Um, but every once in a while, I do pick it up out of desperation while I'm sitting here, but it really sits there as a symbolic means to, to ground me in my truth and what I believe about my role. And then the other thing is a jar that just says salt. Yeah. And um, again, uh, you know, my, I believe that we're called to be salt and light to the world. And that reminds me that if, you know, if salt loses its ability to, 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 um, what's the word to, um, uh, season. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it's, 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 it's worthless. And so, um, I operate from that realm and, um, I, I, I try very hard to see our mission as I carry out my role and responsibility in that context, um, because that's where my deepest values lie. Um, and the County has established a set of core values doing what's right, doing what matters most, doing it together and doing it well. It's, 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 it's not just a mantra, it's, it's literally the values. And so each one of those things has distinct um, value characteristics under it, like professionalism, transparency, integrity, et cetera. And every one of those values also aligns with me and my faith and the basis from which I operate. So if I get stuck with a decision or if we're not sure what to do in a personnel matter or in a case situation, like we pull out our county values and we say, where does this fall? Is this professional? It, does this have transparency and integrity? And so we're always trying to uh, operate from the core values of what we believe here. And um, that keeps us anchored to our mission and the belief of what we're really called to do, which is um, a, a government mandated um, mission uh, to serve this community. Um, and I wish we weren't needed. I wish there were enough uh, faith-based organizations that would serve the mission that we serve. Or I wish that 
uh, families weren't in crisis or that there, you know, there wasn't difficulties in the world to need us, but it is the reality and it's what we do. And um, we take that mission very, very, very seriously. So as long as I have the privilege to sit in this chair, that's the basis for all of what we do, um, to be honest with you. I love that. Um, so you talked about when you got the job, you talked about that you didn't want to be away from the front yeah. line, right? And now you've said that yep. you're, you're five removed from the front line. Yep. <laughs> um, I was spoke to a social worker yesterday and she said, it's amazing to me that Karen knows my name and she knows everything. Oh. And she said it was really important to her that, that you know everyone's name. And and wow. Um, and so I think that's a testament to you and a testament to how you live out your job um, as a follower of Christ. Um, and that how that permeates through mm. you lead, um, and how you lead. Um, but since you are five, five lines away from the front line, what do you miss <laughs> about the front line? Wow. Um. Well, it's funny because recently I was telling somebody here that when I retire, you know, like people think you'll retire from a stressful job and you'll sit on the beach somewhere. When I retire, I've often like, I'll look around this agency at different roles and I'm like, when I retire, I want to do that job. And I have imagined myself retiring from this job and going back to the line for a few years. Like that's how passionate I am about the work. And part of the reason is because I didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden know how to do the job or know what was important about the job or how to you know, care for families and children and the aged and all those things, right? It took me 32 years this, this year um, to really, to be competent and I'm still learning and girl, I don't know everything and I don't do everything right. But you know, after all of that time, I, I, I sometimes wish I could get my hands a little more dirty in the work. Um, so, but I miss, um, I miss the interaction with the people we're called to serve. Um, I don't say this in a self-serving way, but I come in the front door of this agency when I get here in the morning. A lot of people go in the staff and the employee entrances, but I come in the front door. Now it's the front door in the last year, there hasn't been a lot of people because we, we don't really have a lobby quite the way we did. But a pre-COVID, um, it wasn't uncommon to walk through the front door and uh, people are sitting waiting to see, uh, you know, per people here. And that to me, like that, that's the most valuable thing to me to see the humanity of people to know only by the grace of God, do I sit on one side of the desk and not the other? Um, that's important to me. And while I can't be involved in every situation or know every distinct thing, when a complaint, and yes, complaints are made to me about different things, or when uh, a situation um, is high profile, um, a child fatality, God forbid, or you know things that really become very big, I take those opportunities to learn and to dig into what we're doing and to ensure we are doing what we're supposed to. And so it gives me a little bit uh, of an opportunity to say, I, I think we need to, to, to consider another way of doing this. Or that happens a lot where, you know, I see something and I'm like, you know, have we thought about this? Um, we have a young man this week who um, has had multiple moves in his little life after entering foster care. And he recently um, was hospitalized due to some very critical needs. And we're grappling with where he's gonna be placed. And 
the program manager and the social work supervisor and I got on a Zoom call and we brainstormed, how can we do things differently that would benefit him? And so those are the things that kind of fuel my desire for that direct contact. Um, and I never, ever, ever, ever want to forget why we do what we do. And every human, every life that we touch here is uh, a testament to our responsibility. And so it's hard. There are days that, and then my staff will probably tell you if you talk to enough of them that there are times I get a little too involved or, um, you know, or they wish I wouldn't uh, interfere with what they're doing. Um, But I love those opportunities. That is very important to me. If, you know, in the next few years, do you have a vision or a goal of where you could see Chaba County DSS going? Yeah. Besides non-existent, because I don't. Yeah, well, there is that. And (laughs) if I'm honest, um, I pray for our mission. When I walk in the building, I'm off. If you see my lips moving as I'm walking, it's, again, just um, a prayer about what we do and who will walk through the doors and those kinds of things. Um, but it, it, over the last several years, since I took this position, we've really tried to refine and uh, right size is the word that I usually use our mission here. We, we, we often take on these one-off type programs here and there. Um, and it takes time and resources and expertise to do those things. And it's beautiful when we can do it. But often what we found is that it dilutes our primary mission uh, in ways that we, we, we're not happy with. And so we've really tried the last couple of years to really do what we're required by law to do better. We want to we master those things. And then if we have the opportunity to take on additional things that we're not required by law to do, then we will consider those. So that's kind of been our role the last couple of years. Um, but as we're moving in... Um, to the next couple of years, uh, even at the state level, particularly in regard to child welfare, there's major transformation taking place, child welfare reform. Now I will tell you, I am very skeptical because again, for 32 years being in this work, I've seen reform come and I've seen reform go. I've seen the pendulum swing to one side and then back to the other. And I've never seen anything really impact the system in the way that I would like to see it uh, and the way uh, to create outcomes that I would like to see. Um, But I'm more hopeful than I've ever been in my career about some of the statewide things that are taking place. Um, But we're also trying to align what we do internally with some of that. And um, our goal moving forward certainly is to uh, recalibrate after the pandemic. We still don't know how that's going to impact us. And we've learned some lessons even in terms of our business operations about how we carry out our role. So that's a part of what we'll be focused on. But beyond that, um, it's really to build a community of providers, again, much like we talked about earlier, who will sit with us around the proverbial table to strengthen what we do rather than us being all things to all people. I, I dream of a world where we have such a robust community of services to help families that the number of families that I have to serve here diminishes. Um, And I also have a distinct uh, vision and hope that the number of kids experiencing foster care in our community will significantly drop. Um, And um, we're focusing on those things as well. Now, um, so you talked about the community. Mm -hmm. 
think are is there is that one of the big reasons that um or is there also other reasons why Catawba DSS can sometimes oftentimes be one of the the leads for the state because y'all pilot a lot of programs for the yeah state. yeah and I and I can't tell me what I you know what put sets you apart mm -hmm. yeah so I can't take a lot of credit for many many of those reasons um part of it is that this county and it's this cliche but it's true has been willing to step out and do innovative and creative things to try and meet the needs of citizens and I don't just mean my department I mean you know, across the county in, in all so of what, our departments. Can you give an example of that? Um, so uh, this is a little complex, but I'll give it to you as an example. M most counties just operate with um, a commissioner, county manager type form of government. And all the departments roll on up to, you know, the county manager's office, and then they're overseen by the commissioners. Uh, some years ago, I think it's been at least 20, our county decided to establish what we call as a reinventing form of government. And the, the very simple version of that is that reinventing takes the bureaucracy out of government. So this is one of the examples I use when I try and help people understand what reinventing means. If, if I have a budget, if I have to establish a budget for my department every year, but all of a sudden we have 50 more kids in foster care, if I need to hire more social workers, I have to go to the commissioners and say, here's the business justification. I need an additional half a million dollars so I can hire social workers because we have this influx of kids entering foster care. Or even worse, say, because we've had uh, a lot more work the numbers due to COVID have increased our numbers in Medicaid and, and food and nutrition. And we've used a lot more paper as we've printed documents and sent them out to people. So if, I, if I've blown out my, my paper budget and I need more paper, like I have to operate within the budget the commissioners give me. And so bureaucracy would have me filling out a form requesting more paper and then another level of, of approval and another level of approval where you know it doesn't allow me to just walk, to drive down to Walmart and buy a case of paper. Um, so reinventing takes away the bureaucracy and allows me to operate within the budget the county commissioners give to me. But if I, and we establish outcomes every year that um, are tied to our budget. They're tied to the commissioner's approval of our budget. And um, this year, I think we have about 50. So to give you an example, we have about 50 outcomes. And if we can meet our outcomes at 90%, we maintain our reinventing status. So reinventing status allows me to use the budget and the money they've given me as efficiently and effectively as possible. And if I incur um, an efficiency, like say I find a really good deal on paper and I'm able to save $1,000 in my paper budget, at the end of the year, 99 other counties give that $1,000 back to the general fund or you know, back to the commissioners or you know, to the county my department gets to keep that thousand dollars and bank it. And um, then if I, if the next year I need a new copier, but I don't have the money, I have this thousand dollars. Well, there's my copier money. So I'm, I'm very overly simplifying it, but that's an amazing gift in this role that I have had the ability to weather storms or influxes or pandemics with, without constantly every other month going to the commissioners and saying, I need more money or I need this or I need that. Or when decisions have to be made about urgent matters, um, they have given me the authority to do that by this very creative and innovative. It's actually based off of a book 
uh, that was written some years ago. Um, and I can tell you at 99 other directors in this state envy Catawba County at having that flexibility with their budget. And uh, we, in the last four years, we have operated very, very conservatively with our budget. Hence, back to the conversation about not being all things to all people. If I try to be all things to all people, I, I don't have the revenue coming down from our federal and state revenues to really offset the true cost of that to my department. So we're very protective and I, I liken it onto a savings account for a family. So if a family doesn't have a savings account and their, um, their roof blows, they start having leaks in their roof, they might have to take out a loan or go to their family and borrow money. And so the same thing here, if, if we have an issue here in my department, if I don't have this reinventing fund, then I have to go to the, I have to borrow money or I have to go to the county, so to speak. Um, but we've operated very conservatively because we want to prepare for storms that come. And so we've opted not, we proverbially, we've opted not to take vacations for the last couple of years here and do all of these extra things because we wanted to be a stable in our savings account, so to speak, before um, we have a roof leak. Um, and so that's over, it's way too complex and I'm trying to oversimplify it for you, but that is the basis. Um, and most people don't know that, know that that's how I operate here. Not every department in the county is a reinventing department, but, but mine is, and we're the largest department. So I can tell you, I, I can't imagine trying to run a department this size as a government entity without the flexibility of making decisions with how we uh, allocate and spend money that the commissioners, and it's really, I say the commissioners, they allocate it, but it's, it's citizens money, it's taxpayer dollars. And um, we have an incredible responsibility to be good stewards of the public trust. And there's many ways to do that, but primarily, and it, one of the most visible ways is how we spend their money. And so we take that very, very, very seriously. But that's an example of how Catawba County has been able to kind of set themselves apart They've had incredible leadership over the years. Uh, I have followed some amazing uh, people uh, with great vision, uh, prior leaders that even that ran this department. Um, I think of Bobby Boyd, who's iconic here around my agency and in this community for uh, his leadership um, of this organization, for example. Even my predecessor, um, Beth, who was the assistant director prior to me, and even some people who are no longer here were just visionaries for how to leverage uh, other federal funding or to find efficiencies you know, here internally to allow them to do some of these other things as well. But it's the reputation of this county that has really allowed us as a department uh, to graft ourselves into statewide initiatives and why we're often called to be um, pilots and other things. Um, and, and you know, one last thing I'll say about that, that's also, that's a blessing and a curse, right? So it's blessing because we're so, uh, we're, we're stable and we're respected and we do good work. And so they want us to do that. But oftentimes taking on all those things requires extra work for the people here. So that's the other thing over the last couple of years, we've really, really tried to balance what we do and how we do it because it can become a burden to the people who are responsible for taking on those additional things. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, it truly is, but, but we have to be cautious uh, like most things. I didn't know about the, the government. So that's amazing and that yeah. it all works together. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about, you talk about child welfare reform. What would you like to see in child welfare reform? That might be a 
Oh gosh. Um, can that we don't want to open, but yeah, that could be like a four hour podcast. Um, <laughs> the highlights. I believe, yes, I believe in child protection. Uh, certainly um, I don't want any child anywhere to be abused or neglected, harmed. Child fatality is, you can't understand it unless you've lived through it. It's, it's the most horrific thing. It's a, it's a, it's certainly a career career. People will leave the, you know, you, if you've experienced a fatality on your caseload, people will leave this uh, world of operation to do something else. Cause it's that it takes a toll on like you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so in the broadest sense, I envision a world where children are not harmed. Um, but I'm also aware that we live in a world um, that's not perfect and children will be harmed. Um, so my, my greatest vision is that the community, again, will be so full of support and robust neighbors helping neighbors and uh, churches coming alongside single parents and families in need and you know, doing those types of things so that if a child is harmed, a community, and most people don't want government to interfere or to uh, have to serve that role, right? Like it's a role we don't, government doesn't want. So if a community can uh, work together to ensure the protection of children, um, that that's that's a great vision for me. And beyond that, in the realistic end of things, that because we will always exist, I believe that, uh, supernaturally, I've prayed for protection of children in this county, and I've said that any opportunity that I have to say that, um, even in regard to fatalities, that it's not because of the work we've done, but because we have been praying for the protection of children. And I promised God at one point in time that if he would supernaturally protect some of our children here, or our children, not some of them, all of them, that I would stand before him and man to give him the credit for it. And I really believe we've been fortunate to not have um, horrific child abuse and neglect type fatalities, but we've certainly had children uh, die in our community uh, due to many different reasons, uh, suicide being one of them horrific. But um, I would love to see our approach to child protection and how we assess whether a child needs to even enter foster care to be different. If services, if money, if the money, the feds and, and the government, I mean, we'll say the government, not just the feds, because county dollars, state dollars, federal dollars all go to support child welfare. If those, if that funding was put on the front end to assist people long before children are harmed, then we wouldn't have a system of 286 children in foster care. We might have 25, we might have 50, but we wouldn't have 300 or higher. Um, and so honestly, if, if the systems, uh, the court system judges, um, anybody who, who has to weigh in on decision-making regarding child protection uh, could really embrace some of that vision and really most of child welfare, the way it's carried out in a state is governed federally. There's federal law and then the state will interpret and you know apply that to their system. So we, we will always have to depend on, on those mandates. But if the system would um, re, if they would look at things differently and put money, 
to the front end, then I think we could prevent. And, and I'm also saying that from a very uh, um, humanistic standpoint, right? So I also believe, again, from the faith-based community, um, and, and I know some people will argue, well, you know, some of those children are harmed in the faith-based community. That's absolutely right. Sin entered the world. And unfortunately, people who call themselves Christians or any other faith, it doesn't have to be a Christian, who, people who espouse a spiritual value of life uh, do harm and hurt children. And they use the name of whatever it is they're espousing to cover them. And I have no tolerance for that either. Like that's that's the most egregious in, in my mind in a lot of ways. But, you know, we see families, pr probably the majority of kids who are in care in Catawba County come from families who are very poor, who have trauma histories and substance use to cope with trauma histories uh, or violence. And um, a, a lot of a, them being in foster care themselves. Yes, yes. And a severe lack of a, a positive social support to help them when they go through a crisis. And hence children are harmed. Um, and so if you know, when, you know, they do these root cause analysis, why are children abused? And people have asked me that. And I'm like, that's the $25 million question. And I usually say, because sin entered the world, like there is no one answer, but the reality is the root cause analysis is um, people, sin entered the world and people are hurting and broken and have needs and um, don't always have the support and the relationships with others that can come alongside of them through significant times. Uh, my mom was a single mom, unmarried, four children. We all ranged in age five years between the oldest and youngest. So when she was having her first child at 19, she had me at, she probably got pregnant at 19, my first, my oldest sister at 20. And then she had me at 25 and three others in between there. She was 25 year old single mom with four children. And I can tell you that um, we were never involved in the system. Um, she did her fair share of screaming and yelling and you know chaos in my home environment at times. But the reason that we were able to maintain and she maintained and she would met our needs was because a, a robust faith-based system surrounded her and uh, helped her take care of us. And, and uh, my grandmother, who um, also, you know, had been in foster care as a very young child, uh, also helped. But uh, it, so it's only by the grace of God, you know, am I on one side of the desk or not the other, but I can, I've seen and lived out firsthand how a family can survive and thrive when the community that, the, the community that has the resources helps the community that doesn't have the resources. Um, and I truly, truly believe that the church um, and the faith-based community is, is one of the primary solutions to child protection, uh, child welfare in our community, um, or frankly, not just child welfare, the, the, our mission, you know, the mission that we do here, you know, the idea that, that families um, would need food assistance. Like, again, I just think about um, the idea of a church and many, 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 I, I want to acknowledge and recognize many churches in our community um, do indeed carry out that mission, have food pantries or deliver groceries or, you know, look for families in their um, community or their, you know, their congregations to, to do that with. But on a much broader scale, I ultimately believe that's the answer. Uh, and I think, you know, you talk about fostering hope. I think that, that you know, I started I've been a foster parent for almost five years now. And I think mm -hmm. 
as a, a staff of a church in this community, what I began to see was there was there there wasn't a um, in between. You know, there was a mm. you could be you could foster or there wasn't much else to do. And so like as Fostering Hope, we grew, we thought, how do we take the resources that you just talked about? How do we take the resources yeah. that are out there? Because there's tons of resources out there and there's tons yeah. of people who want to help, but they're not yeah. necessarily going to be people who have children, you know, children. In right, their right. And so, you know, right. I, I have been working on a newsletter for April for Fostering Hope. And in the last three months, we've given out 25 beds. Wow. 2020, we've already given out 25 beds to kids and kids. Yeah. We didn't buy a single one of them. We That's incredible. Just a single one of them. And yeah. yet, so how do we take the resources of the community? And mm-hmm. some of those are not kids in care. Some of those beds have gone to um, social workers that are at DSS who are working with birth families to keep right, right. Prevention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. doing prevention. And so like, yeah. I, think I love that. And I love that idea of having lots and lots of community entities that come alongside and say, how do, yeah. we, how do we connect the resources um, yeah. who need them? So that's yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a joy to talk with you. Um, I would love um, if you have anything else you want to add, make sure we say, um, to do that, but also I'd love to end on an, an inspiring or, or fun story, maybe a joyful story that keeps you going. So on the hard days, what story do you think of, or do you, do you remember um, that? Well, I would be remiss to not, first of all, say thank you to you and the leadership that you provide to Fostering Hope Catawba. I've also enjoyed seeing it expand um, to other counties as well. Um, you know, God has given me this territory, Catawba County, uh, but my peers uh, in other counties, uh, my heart went to Burke County when uh, the director in Burke County is a former Catawba County um, leader, and uh, he's doing a great job over there, but um, it's it's wonderful to see, um, you know, the, the enlargement of your territory, because it is such a beautiful thing what you and your group does, and, and I agree, it's just I read the posts on Facebook of what you're doing, even the pieces about supporting social workers on their birthday or social work appreciation month where you honor them. Like I, I think it's so important to acknowledge the workforce and it's not just workers. These are people with passion and a heart for this mission. And um, they show up every day despite what they see and what they hear and, and having to, to um, grapple with the brokenness and the hurting nature of the people who come to social services. By, by and large, people don't come here unless they have a pretty deep need. Um, some people come because, you know, that's what we do. But most people would say, if I didn't have to, I don't want to interact with them. And not because they don't like us, because it, it, it indicates that there's an area in their life that's hard. And so child support's a great example. Like, you know, child support happens because relationships end and a child doesn't live with both parents and, um, and then child, you know, then the child support. So th- that's an example. But um, so I want to honor every every staff person, almost 400 of them, they show up day in and day out. And by and large, the majority of them are here uh, with the same passion for our values and our mission as I am. Um, 
but I got to tell you the thing that really keeps me going again um, is uh, the families that we serve. Uh, there's a card that a family who adopted a child uh, gave me that sits on a table. And it's this reminder to me of the outcome of what we do. It would be very easy to be overwhelmed with what's in front of us every day. But when I think about the outcome for families that have been able to strive and achieve and are doing better and a child who is healed and uh, the stories that come across my desk of our youth who age out of foster care, but are successful and making a difference now in their world. And unfortunately, those those stories aren't as plentiful as I wish. Um, but I, 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 the hope, the thing that keeps us going and it keeps me going is the belief that we can make a difference, that we are doing what we're called to do and that lives are being changed. And um, I have a vision in the next couple of years of really trying to rally the community more into, you know, proverbial sitting around the table with us to to understand how we all can take a role in doing that. And that's like, that's very invigorating. It's very um, uh, uh, it, motivating is the word I was looking for. Um, and then the last thing is um, a family that I worked with when I was a social worker, um, some of the most difficult child protection cases. And um, I think of a lady named Lorraine who uh, was a precious lady, uh, struggled with her own health. She had diabetes and uh, very poor um, violence in her history with uh, partners. And and uh, she had a son. That's how we originally got involved. Um, and then uh, she got pregnant uh, towards the end of my case. And um, the relationship that we established, she wanted me to name her baby when her baby was born. And um, I mean, what a, what a great privilege, right? That um, as a social worker, you're, you know, the family that you're working for um, values you enough to name the child. So we named her precious baby Noah for the hope and future that, that he would have in his life. Uh, and then I, I left that job at some point and I later heard that she died due to uh, not her inability to really control her diabetes. She ended up having some of her foot amputated, but uh, she's one of many people that in my work um, reiterated the value of the relationship. I mean, it isn't just the social worker interacting with a family in need. These are families we come to love and respect and want to serve. And the humanity of that and the hope of that is what keeps us going here. It's not our government mandate. So. That's why you get up in the morning. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. So. Well, Karen, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Loved having you um, and um, look forward to, to working with you more. Absolutely, absolutely. We, again, we appreciate all that your uh, team does to help our families in this community. It's valuable. This has been Friends of Foster Care, a podcast of Fostering Hope Catawba. For more information, visit www.fosteringhopecatawba.com. Thanks for tuning in.